0: Hello and welcome to Beer and Money, a financial fireside chat for tech professionals. We work to simplify your finances so that you can enjoy your life. Now here are your hosts, Ryan Burkle and Alex Collins.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Beer & Money, Episode 7. I'm your host, Ryan Burklow. And allow me to introduce my co-host, Alex. I love the Denver Broncos. Collins. Go Hawks. So in past episodes, we have spoken into a uh, control-the-controllable conversation. And what we realized was we haven't shown the math as to why uh, we state that because as we stated in our first podcast, this isn't the Ryan and Alex opinion show. We want to ground everything in academics and math and scholarship. So what we thought we'd do today is uh, explain where we what we mean by control the controllables.
2: And at a, a high level, walk you through some of the math and really show what we're talking about when we have some of these conversations essentially prove that we're not talking about just the opinion of Alex and Ryan and show some of the math behind it.
1: So a common conversation that many advisors have with their clients is, is around rate of return, right? Like where should I, what investment should I put my money into and what is the return I'm going to get on my money? I would say that's probably the vast majority of conversations that folks have with their advisor. And it's an important conversation to have. You know, diversification, risk tolerance. It's an important conversation to have. But a conversation that is often not followed by that or maybe should go ahead of that is what is your savings rate?
2: Well, not only that, Ryan, but rate of return is a snapshot in time and the second that the market opens back up, whatever that rate of return number was is is now wrong. It's constantly changing and it's really only relevant when we compare what the rate of return is to what we would have expected given the market conditions.
1: So what we're going to do is an exercise where we're going to take twin brothers, if you will. And one brother is going to do one thing with his money. And another brother is going to do a different thing with his money. Can we call them Alex and Ryan? Sure. Ryan's the attractive one. (laughs) Uh, So let's take a 30 year time horizon. And that Ryan is going to make a hundred thousand dollars a year. And Ryan expects to get a 3% bump, if you will, every year for, let's call it inflation, if you will. So his income will rise 3% every year. Cost of living adjustment. Exactly. Now, Ryan also chooses to to save 5% of his income. So what that means is in year one, $100,000 of income, he's going to get $5,000 in savings. Over that time horizon, over 30 years, if Ryan gets an after-tax rate of return of 10%, Way to go, Ryan. Yes, i will be very happy. Ryan would be left with $1,180,311.
2: To be clear, this is not a specific investment nor a recommendation.
1: No, this is just an analysis. So 5%, 30-year time horizon, a little bit over $1 million. So I think a lot of us would be very excited about the rate of return aspect. And obviously, $1.18 million doesn't suck.
2: Sign me up right now.
1: So now let's analyze what Ryan can control in this example, right? I've got an income coming in the door. We have inflation. We have a rate of return and we have a savings. Savings definitely can be controlled. Agreed. To some extent, I think my income of $100,000 can be controlled with, with me focusing on my job. Sure. And fine-tuning my skills and hopefully not being laid off. Obviously, I could be laid off. It's not 100% guarantee that I can control it. But within reason, I can control a good chunk of that. Yeah. And yes. Can't control inflation rate. We don't have the ability to. Right. I can't control whether or not I'm going to get 10% in the market. I don't think my advisor can necessarily guarantee or control me getting 10%. He might be able to mitigate some, uh, mitigate some risk and diversify me, make it an efficient portfolio. But he or she is not coming to me with a, hey, I'm going to get you 10% guaranteed. 100%. So Alex, let's go to Alex. Alex version, who decided to not take the same amount of risk in the market, he tended to focus on his savings rate. And so what he decides to do, again, Alex makes the same amount of money, $100,000 a year, same time horizon, everything stays the same except for two factors. He's saving 20%. So in year one, that's $20,000. And in terms of risk, he didn't take as much risk in, in the portfolio. So we're going to give him a 3% rate of return after tax, which is quite a bit less than 10.
2: Yeah, there's products out there that will come close to guaranteeing a 3% rate of return perhaps not over a 30-year time horizon, but extremely safe rate of return to to assume.
1: That number that he ends up with is $1,456,357. Woohoo! A bigger number than 1.18, I believe, is what I got. Yeah, about 25% more. So 25% more, a lot less risk. Now let's analyze, could Alex control, like how much of control does he have inside of this? Well,
2: I can control how much I'm saving, the 20%. The rate of return that we're assuming is based on inflation. So I'm getting inflationary rates of return. If we take a look at historical interest rates, interest rates are, for the most part, always been or very close to always been at least inflationary. Your real rate of return basically hovers around zero.
1: Most of that's controllable or fairly close to it. Well, the interesting factor is I just took out the rate of return and made it zero. So pretend Alex just took the money and shoved it under his mattress, which would be kind of be weird, but stick with me here. It's a lumpy mattress. Lumpy. Uh, the end result over that same 30-year time horizon, just not getting any return on the money, is $951,000 compared to 1.18, like it's really not that far off. All you did was focus on what you can control, which is your savings rate. Now we're not, I'm gonna be, let's just be very honest here. Cost of living has a huge aspect here, right? So like when I graduated college, I couldn't save 20% of my income. I didn't have the cash flow to be able to do that with rent. Some people can. Some people can't. It depends on where you live. However, where should your focus be? And I think this is, I don't think I know, this is the point of this conversation. The focus should be where you control what you can control and be efficient with your money. Obviously, we're not saying don't, we're not saying go put it underneath your mattress. <laughs> right? We're saying control what you can control and it, life is going to end up pretty darn good.
2: Yeah, we're giving an extreme example, trying to show ultra low rates of return and give a comparison in context. So much of our industry focuses around assuming a rate of return and then how little do I have to save to achieve a goal? That leaves very little room for error. What happens if something goes wrong? What happens if the rate of return we assumed was wrong? What happens if taxes go up? What happens if inflation goes up?
1: Well, and when you're controlling your savings, and this is, I think, might be the biggest thing that that I've learned over these last probably five or six years, just for me personally, from a financial perspective. If I'm saving 20% of my income and the market goes to crap, the fact that I'm saving twenty percent of my income, and that control piece allows me to continue to stay in the market. It, it's a it's a financial peace of mind. I'm speaking for for me personally. I can just imagine myself, you know, twenty years from now, maybe going into some version of retirement, and if if that same year the market had like a two thousand eight. It's a bad year to retire. It's a a bad year to retire, but if I've been saving 20% all along, I'm going to be much better off than if I was only saving 5% and chasing the return. 100%. So uh, I'm not going to fret or stress over the rate of return aspect. I want to make sure it's efficient, but if I can focus on a 20% savings rate, man, that's just a huge load off my mind.
2: Completely agree. And the example that we're not... Typically, recommending that you know thirty-year-olds or twenty-year-olds, you know, put dollars into a hundred percent of their money into uh, an inflation-based rate of return. Let's let's make sure we're investing what's appropriate for you. And this is simply showing a concept, and that is that if we take risk off the table or virtually off the table that we can still achieve phenomenal results. And if we wind up adding back in a component of rate of return, and now we have some amount of liquidity, we've created and cultivated these phenomenal savings habits, it provides tremendous amount of flexibility because we don't know what the future holds. Maybe we want to retire at 50 or 55. Maybe we're forced to retire that early.
1: It gives us, frankly, it gives you back the flexibility of the planning period. Right. And and it's just so much of when your focus is on, and, and when I say focus on like savings rate, I'm not like, I'm not talking about penny pinching and stop going to Starbucks. I'm not right. I'm not saying don't live your life. What I am saying is, when your income jumps by 20% because you got a promotion and you decide to go, go buy the newest Tesla upgraded version that is now worth that is now cost of $150,000 and your bonus was $20,000, right? It's just taken into account our lifestyle And, and don't get me wrong. Like, you know, we just bought a brand new car. It's a, it's a nice car. I, di- I didn't think I'd ever buy spend that kind of money on a nice car. However, basing it into my savings rate, it, it allowed us to do that. We didn't buy that brand new nice car three years ago when we weren't saving the amount of money we're saving now.
2: Well, and it, it becomes all about choice. You were able to buy that car without crowding out your 20% savings rate. Right. Once you have that, those good habits of being able to save 20% of your savings, it opens up the world for what you can do with the rest of your dollars and provides a tremendous amount of flexibility because of the liquidity it provides and from the ability to, to change what you're doing periodically.
1: And don't get me wrong. It gets difficult. Like Between my wife and I, I'm the spender. Right, I'm the one that wants to go to Maui, and we've got an advisor here. His name is Ryan Jewell. He makes fun of me because I stay at the Ritz Carlton. Alex is now laughing as well at me because I spend money. I like spending, staying at really nice resorts. You know, our next stop is going to be the Four Seasons. However, I'm saving twenty percent. Uh, I'm able to do that now. To be clear, I wasn't doing this ten years ago, and those were the wrong decisions. And it it did put me in a couple of financial predicaments that I got out luckily, but it's so much easier. Like I don't have to stress over that financial concern anymore because I'm doing the right things rather than relying upon a rate of return that may or may not happen.
2: Yeah. Completely agree. And I'll echo your sentiment in my family. I am absolutely the spender as well. And, for me, one of the tricks that I've I've taught myself, looking at how important savings rate is, is I've somewhat tricked myself into spending on savings, that that becomes one of the first things that I do is spend on saving.
1: Yeah. And, and it's easier said than done. I mean, I don't know how it was for you, Alex, but it, it I definitely put my hand in the cookie jar a couple times because it it was a bigger amount of money that I was used to not having to spend. And, uh, like, and the money was being spent on probably dumb things. My wife still to this day doesn't like me for certain things that I bought. I'm an avid memorabilia, sports memorabilia collector. I'm staring at my John Elway Super Bowl 32 MVP football that was signed by him. Like, probably wasn't my best decision to spend drop the money on that football at that time. And you, you just, it, over time it becomes a habit like anything else. 21 days to a habit, right?
2: Yeah. And the, the goal here is just cultivating those good habits for some people. It, they love spending money on cars for other people. They love spending money on travel. The The trick and the goal is making sure that you're not keeping up with the Joneses in all aspects that if you're able to get to the point of a 20% savings rate, great. As long as you keep that habit, wherever you put the rest of your dollars, you're good.
1: Spend the rest, right? And that's, I think we said that in episode one, if I'm not mistaken. If you're focusing on the right things, spend the rest of your money. Like, we, that's the reason we're going to work. We want to enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. Enjoy. But we don't want to stress over it. And we don't want to put ourselves in a predicament where 20 years down the line, we're looking at what we have in savings and we're like, uh, I'm not retiring anytime soon, or the, the flexibility of what you want to do just became very, very small.
2: It, 100% accurate there, Ryan. It, it's all about making sure that we have the, the good savings habits. It doesn't matter you know, how much we're spending on cars or homes or travel. It's the ability to save that 20% that's going to be a a difference maker in people's lives.
1: So those were the numbers in terms of proof, if you will, around why we talk into control the controllables. Because in the end, that's all you can count on. And we'll post a couple graphics in the, the notes. So if
2: you guys have questions, feel free to check it out there. If you want to reach out to us and help dissect the numbers further, reach out to me. I'm the numbers guy.
1: Yes. So as usual, have yourself a wonderful day. Cheers.
0: This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax legal or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources deemed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be only relied upon with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or qualified financial partners, and the deans stated by the law. Guardians subsidiaries and employees do not provide tax aid or accounting advice, consulting tax legal or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Brian and is a registered representatives and financial advisor to Park Avenue Securities LLC. LLC Jane, 85 Maple Street, number 140, Fisher, California, 909 1100. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Number 2019 83241, expiration 07 2021.